Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we have an extremely, extremely special guest because not only he has an amazing entrepreneurial life, but I have the honor that I've worked with him before. We were colleagues uh, in a fintech. I call him a friend. Uh, like he's amazing, and we will have a great <laughs> treat today. So basically, today we have Elliot Brooks. He is the founder and chief operating officer of Thriva. Uh, Thriva is a modern healthcare service with a focus on prevention. And Elliot is also recognized as Forbes 30 under 30. He's extremely humble. <laughs> extremely humble, but Forbes 30 under 30 is a big deal. <laughs> so Elliot, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, Moni, and hey, everyone. Uh, yeah, it's a, a pleasure to be here and, to, and great to see you again. Okie dokie. So you and I met when we were building a fintech, basically. And we both were in the well, we were younger. <laughs> and <laughs> we were we were at the very early stages of building a tech company, which is very, mm -hmm. very demanding. But to my surprise and many of our colleagues' surprises, then one day you were like, Oh, I'm leaving, and we're like and he said, yes, because I am starting my own, basically, tech company. We're like, yeah. oh, wow. And for all these months or even years, I don't remember, you were working in a high, fast-paced environment in the fintech, but at the same time, in parallel, you were building your company. That's impressive. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came together? Why did you go into that journey? Yeah, um, it was very unintentional, really, I think is the first thing. So actually, before joining Tandem, the sort of fintech that, that we were obviously both at, uh, I'd had the idea even then. And um, I had started talking about it with my then boss at the time. Um, and the opportunity at Tandem came up and I kind of said, I'm just going to, like, I need to focus on my career. I Not long before having the idea for Thriver, been working on another startup idea in the background. I was like, I just want to focus on getting in a company, progressing, getting my heads down. What we were doing at Tandem, the fintech, was super exciting at the time. You know, kind of second ever digital-only bank in the license. UK to get a banking yeah. license. Yeah. Um, so so um, anyway, so I think on joining for six months, those first six months, I kind of didn't really speak or think too much about Thriver, the idea at all. And then I think probably halfway through, went for a catch up with my old boss and over a couple of drinks, we just started talking about the idea again. And I don't know, it just kind of, it's just like, it's just such the right time. And I think kind of actually weirdly working in FinTech and seeing all of the kind of explosion happening there almost made me more sure that that's what health care needed right yeah um you know kind of all the, the parallels around the explosion of digital technology mobile apps um digital adoption the desire from people and consumers to kind of be more in control whether that's of their finances or their health it just felt like there were lots of lots of parallels lots of differences as well but um that yeah, I guess that that kind of sense of timing and excitement it somehow gave me the energy to moonlight, <laughs> moonlight uh, on Friber whilst working in a very intense but fun uh, fun environment at Tandem. Yeah, 
Yeah. Now, now that you just use like the word, uh, it gives you like basically the energy. Mm. If, you, if you go back to that time, like what was going on in your mind? Because it is hard to just work in a startup. That's it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of mm. pressure. There's not enough resources. Mm. And then at the end of the day, you even had more energy to go and work on your own startup. While many people have a job and they want to do a side gig and start growing something on the side and their biggest challenge is, I'm tired after work. Like, how do you tap into that energy? What was going on through your mind back then so that yeah. you still have the energy? Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, I think like most people, when you join a startup as well, you're, you're very energized by that, right? It's such an exciting time. Like looking back then, I think came in 12th person. By the time I left, it was 100 people in a year. And it was so exciting what we were doing. So I was very much energized in my day job, but then energized by what I was working on the side. And I think a combination of maybe two things, one, just having a passion for what I was doing. And two, um, actually kind of having two, initially one and then two co-founders, um, you know, you, you've got almost like your accountability there, but you've also got a team to help move things forward faster. And um, yeah, kind of been very blessed actually in that there's a, a really nice balance um, of, of skill sets, but a very good, strong shared understanding around like working and expertise between the three of us. So I think that helped move things a lot in the in the background as well. And I think it'd be remiss of me not to reflect on the fact that one of us was not myself nor Hamish. That Tom is a very talented engineer and product mind by background. So, you know, he was able to really press ahead in terms of building out the actual digital side of things, which is often a, a bit of a blocker for people Challenge. when they have an idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. So the secret was like, hey, you've got the passion and you had the team. It was not just build a team. So it's like, yeah, basically you push each other all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you 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 have to build around your your gaps in knowledge and skills. And um, yeah, we were very fortunate to kind of all come together at the right time and and enjoy working with each other, enjoy each other's energy and passion and complement each other very well in terms of skill sets. I kind of know the answer, but I'll ask anyways. How do you guys <laughs> know each other? <laughs> well, I'm hoping you know the answer to half of these questions. Yes, I know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm so, like, kind of know the answer, but uh, yeah. so that everybody knows. Yeah, no, it's... um fortuitous really so Hamish was my boss uh whilst I was at uh the company before Tandem he had gone through this entrepreneurial program that I'd gone through called the New Entrepreneurs Foundation he was a he's probably about seven years older than me but he'd gone through that program maybe two years before me um and had become my manager so you know I knew I worked well with him and I knew what he was good at yeah. and he knew yeah. what I was good at which was great and then Tom was a a friend, really, um, uh, and I had uh, seen what he had done at another startup. He was a CTO at a, a mobile payment startup, and I used the product all the time. I loved it. I, th I thought it was such a great product. It was probably just a tiny bit too early. Um, it was all around. It was kind of like Venmo, um, pre really, maybe not pre Venmo, but pre all the digital banks in the UK when paying um people was so clunky like yes. really really clunky um so I knew he was a very strong engineer and I knew he was a good good guy who I got along well with um and Hamish and Tom had actually met before as well just coincidentally through through kind of a, a pitch event or something um so yeah I was able to pull them together and um go from there awesome did you guys have an agreement did you talk things before in terms of hey we're friends but we'll go into work mode and we'll have disagreements and we'll fight and we'll you know like there will be i don't know friction that's the word that i'm looking yeah. for there will be friction what do we put first friendship or work did you ever have the conversation or it just evolved um 
we I don't think we ever did actually if I'm if I'm completely honest with you I think there was a like I said like a shared mutual understanding mutual respect and um I think that uh yeah I think you know we we would have heated debates but that kind of reinforced the fact that it was a good team um and especially in that first year or so where it was pretty much just us working on the business you know we could really get into a, a problem and coming at it from different viewpoints and it was quite a funny thing to have to learn when when people joined you know oh you know maybe we shouldn't have as heated a debate wasn't that bad but it was um you know we, there was a lot of passion there I'll say that yeah but yeah. um in terms of kind of like sh- agreements or yeah I don't think we ever vocalized it we probably had some kind of founders agreement in place early on we came to a very easy simple agreement on things like equity and salary and that was that it's all even Stevens um and yeah just went from there I think that's quite important isn't it as well that like we agreed that you know compensation equity was even because that then creates a reinforces that mutual respect yeah yeah because it's exactly it's even that is exactly fair it's not a yeah. you work more you work like it's like it's the yeah. three of us in this together yeah and there was a there was a funny kind of interesting conversation at the start when yeah Hamish and I had done a bit of work on the idea for the on the side really probably over six months or so it hadn't really moved that far forward, but in our heads, you know, we thought we had moved it a bit far forward. And so there was a kind of question as to whether it would be an even split when we agreed to work with Tom. Then actually, you know, that short period before now in the context of over six years on where we were working part-time moonlighting, it's nothing. So um, yeah, it's very short-sighted, I think, to get kind of, hung up on those initial splits when you're so early on the in the journey beginning. yes yeah yeah you also mentioned about salary mm-hmm. when you when you first started I mean you were you had a full-time job <laughs> that yeah. paid you salary <laughs> yeah but then what type of conversation did you have back then like who put the capital at the beginning did you go fundraising since the very beginning mm. was it like your savings how did you guys go about that because if you were paying yeah. salaries, I mean, there was capital behind to mm. pay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good question. So um, we were, again, very... So we found one investor, just coincidentally, who we pitched when we were in full-time employment, all three of us. And he said, if you quit your jobs, I will back you, but only on the condition that you're able to raise a total of 150. And I think he was offering to put in 50,000 pounds and 150 is the, it's uh, the amount up to which you can invest under a UK legislation called SEIS, which is tax efficient thing yeah. basically for yeah. angel investing. Anyway, so we were like, okay, cool. Well, we couldn't really, Hamish and I weren't in a financial position to, um, quit our jobs I managed to agree to go part-time with Tandem which was great so I was still earning salary but with some time I think one day a week uh to work on the idea Tom thankfully took a month off he was contracting and he built that product in that month and during that time we got something like 50 50 sales this was probably Jan 2016 and by the end of Jan we had a commitment from Seed Camp, who are a very early stage venture capital investor, to invest. Again, on the purview that we quit our jobs, obviously. Uh, and then we were able to find the rest of the money through angel investors as well. So all of that happened very, very quickly. You're talking like in the matter of a week from getting Seed, seed yeah. So we, we built the product, shipped it, 50 sales. We were in the process of pitching Seed Camp when they said yes. I think that was a Friday evening, and I think by the Tuesday we had filled the rest of the round, and we resigned on the Wednesday morning. Yeah, amazing. Congrats. So it was very. It was a whirlwind weekend, um, and it was remarkable because lots of people who had said no to us before, once Seed Camp 
that the kind of validation of the fund yeah um uh meant that we were able to reconvince them of course oh that's amazing so yeah so we raised some finances and then left our jobs repaid tom a salary for the month that he worked and yeah what was your biggest fear at the time (laughs) good question um I think we always kind of thought, oh, you know, this might not work. I think it would be, which is funny looking back at it because it wouldn't have been a waste, but it would be feeling like I'd wasted time or energy, part of my career, and not achieved anything from it. But I think obviously now retrospectively, I would look back and say, well, I would have learned a ton from it going wrong that would have helped me. But at the time, you know, I was leaving Tandem, which felt incredibly exciting, energetic place to be. Um, so that felt like a risk and a fear. Like, what if this amalgamates to nothing? Have I made the wrong decision long-term for my career? Um, yeah, I'd say that was probably the biggest one. Okay, yeah. And how did you convince yourself? Or how did you push through the fear? Or is it more like, a, uh, that's it. I don't even, even have time to think of the yeah. fear. <laughs> I think that's it was a very good point. I think because it's probably it's the very last. fast. Yeah, like, it's like within a week, like, it's like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Well, because it was so fast and it was like that weekend, it was like, it's happening. It's happening. You know, I was just like, it's cool, I've got to resign now. And yeah. That's and it. so you don't think too much about it. And that, that last month at work was so busy. And then Hamish had managed to negotiate his notice period down. And Tom was already off working on it. So those two, like one week after us resigning, were both working together. And I was going there after work to the, to our kind of new office space, but not able to be there. So I was also getting the FOMO, which helped me kind of push through the, the fear. The fear of leaving Tandem behind was also the fear of not being there as we were starting on this awesome journey, you know. Sounds very exciting. Especially it, it because was. it was it was like it was fast. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. in, done. <laughs> yeah. Because many yeah, times we was... second guess because there's time to think. Another mm. mind gets in the way. Yeah, that's it. That's maybe a good point, isn't it? It's the whole just like jump off and see what happens type mentality. Um rather than yeah, get caught up in thoughts forever. Um and I think that's it, like looking back as well, you know, like that fear of was this the right move is completely irrational. Like it's such a learning experience you go through um, from, you know, all the silly start, well, not silly, all the kind of scary, true, like challenging starting moments of getting customers through the door and figuring out how to serve them and make them love you and hiring your first team member, all that stuff is really, really good, yeah. strong, great experience. So, yeah. I just realized we've been talking a lot about how the company started, but we have not gone into what did you do in the company and your journey of how you came up with the idea that it's a very personal yeah. journey that also solves a very relevant need. Mm-hmm. Can you guide us through how did you come up with the idea? And how that yeah. with your life. Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, so I think like a lot of uh, a lot of startups, it's kind of solving problems you understand, I guess, is the, the, the mantra. Um, and when I was probably like 15, 16, diagnosed with a relatively uh, unsevering, consequential genetic condition that meant I had to be put on medication and, uh, you know, take a tablet every night and I do a blood test once every four months and had been doing this from the age of 16. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it was just one time like I was going off to do a routine blood test and got chatting to Hamish about this, this process and how clunky it was, you know, it's go to your GP to get a form to then go to, sit in a waiting room you know taking your ticket off the wall waiting for your number to be called kind of like this weird game of bingo or something um and I felt you know I was I was always a bit embarrassed almost being in there because I was pretty young at the time you know 16 17 18 19 20 relatively healthy looking I guess 
um, yeah. and waiting for to get a blood test where you then pop in, get your blood drawn, quite painful, unpleasant experience. And then, you know, the, the results just obviously hopefully come back to your GP, but you typically don't really hear anything. Um, I think they only really tend to follow up if something's wrong. So because you but you have no feedback mechanism there, right? You can't see the results. You don't know that they've received them, which just is really actually quite archaic in the world that we live in where, you know, you have Amazon or that kind of, yeah, exactly, real-time notification style stuff to the point on fintech, you know, how mobile banking had changed everything. This, this felt really, really backwards. So we started talking about that. And, um, and yeah, I think that was just the, the origin of the story. That when we looked at it in the context as well of, you know, we often hear about people living longer, but then the, the rise of diseases, things like type 2 diabetes, things like heart disease, meaning more and more people are actually dying of these things that we're actually spending less of our lives in good health. And it just felt like so, you know, at a time when we've never been better able to understand what's going on inside our body, inside our body, we're, we're going backwards. How is that happening? Um, so it felt like a lot of mega trends kind of coming together. And we just got very excited about it to that point on excitement. And, you know, any way we were looking at this, the NHS being overburdened, the like switch and change and focus on diets, the type of podcast you saw coming out with Tim Ferriss on quantified self and yeah. the rise of mobile app technology, you know, um, things happening in other sectors where you had incumbents who were slow to move and digital disruptors, all of these things just got us really excited about, wow, this is the time for a, a service focused on putting people in charge of their health and yeah, helping them manage it better. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'm a big health advocate, so so yes, I yeah. love. You know what? I loved. I was still in the UK when you launched, so mm-hmm. I, like I was your customer. So yeah. I, <laughs> so I love the idea that basically what the service is like you pay online and then you receive like this little pack at home and then you can mm-hmm. take a sample like a blood sample and you just go like tick. In theory, it doesn't hurt. In practice, in your brain, you go like, ah, it hurts. But no, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah, hurt. It, hurts a <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It that's just hurts a little bit. bit. Yeah, but it's like, it's fine. And then you basically do a little bit of uh, blood dropping. <laughs> and then you send yeah. it on the post and you get your yep. results. But the results, you get them online. And I think that mm-hmm. was game changer because then you could see not only the results, but I remember that it's like you could see... Kind of, it wasn't doctor's advice, but yeah, it was more of a, this is where yeah. you fit compared to other people your age, for example. It's like, you're good. And yeah. then if you do it like a quarter later or six months later, you could compare because you have the test. Your trend lines. Place. Yeah. Yes. Right now I have a bunch of papers everywhere that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I realized I didn't actually explain it. <laughs> I just said how I came up with the idea, but what, not what the idea is. But yeah, that's it exactly. So the idea is you can, you can, you know, by by kind of getting this data on yourself, you can pick up when things start trending the wrong way or, or things are already a problem. Um, and lots of the kind of things we test are very much focused on, you know, kind of risk of heart disease, risk of diabetes, risk of like an iron deficiency, etc. Those are things that you can you ultimately empower to kind of course correct and self like self improve, um, but uh, yeah, exactly that's it. And you can kind of understand where you're at with your health versus others, and yeah, what it can take to improve. So we're doing a lot at the moment, specifically on kind of how we then support you to action those results, which I think is obviously you know that's the the challenge in health, right? And it's why we see that, as I say, in kind of developed economies you now have shortening um health span i.e time in good health is is getting shorter or stalling it's because it's really hard to do all those things that we all know are quite right for us but um yeah yeah okay i'm going to change gears a little bit and i'll come back to the business as such how do you hire your team what is it that you look for 
there is mm. like I've noticed like my style of hiring versus other people's style. Mm-hmm. I it's very I guess intuition based versus yeah. other people have a checklist and very specific technical question and for me that's okay but that doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do, how how do you hire your team? How did you decide? Yeah, that's a good person even though she or he has or doesn't have the experience. Like what's yeah. your thinking process? Yeah, very, very good question. I would say it's probably changed over time. So I think that, and it's probably changed out of necessity in some ways. Um, so particularly early on, I think that intuition piece was was quite important to me, right? You know, you're working very close in a small team. This is, still feels like your baby and it's very precious. And, you know, someone comes into that team because the team's so small, the percentage impact they can have can be really high. So feeling quite strongly on a, I guess, on a like interrelationship level, emotional level, et cetera, that they're going to be the right person as as well as have the right skills. Um, felt very, very important at the start. And, um, you know, we hired a, an awesome team at the start. We couldn't have done it without them and still very good friends with lots of them today. And, you know, kind of felt like a, I, I don't like the cliche of, family but it did feel like a a family at that point um and now I talk of it like a sports team right and that's the kind of yeah and I think the 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 things have changed is so recognizing that what you're assessing is someone's ability to do their job really well not necessarily like how you get on with them because I think that can lead to quite a lot of bias um and you know you're trying to build a team that really understands healthcare and healthcare affects everyone's so, you know yeah I didn't need to kind of bang the drum too hard for building diverse teams I think that's very well understood now but I think you need to try and remove your bias in hiring as much as possible look for what am I trying to understand about their ability to do this job and do they share common values with me and the team that I think means that they're they're right for this role so we don't talk about a culture fit interview we have a values-based interview so as part of the final round you will meet two members from other teams um will typically be very different teams to the team you're kind of being recruited into and we've gone through quite rigorous training as a company in terms of what we the questions we ask what we look for and why that's important and how value interviewers should understand those in as objective a way as possible. Um, So, yeah, so I think it's changed a lot, but I I was very similar to you for sure. And I probably still am somewhat, but I think, you know, you do, you do also get a feel when you meet someone, there's still days when I come out of those interviews and I'm like, wow, yeah, we, we want that person. They're awesome. Um, So like that is obviously still a, yeah, a still a, a, a big part of it. Yeah. How do you keep them? Because like people go into startups with an idea <laughs> and then reality hits. It's like, shoot, yeah. you have to work a lot. And it's not yeah. like straightforward. And if they come from corporate, then it's like, oh, in corporate, there used to be a team that, that, that did that. Yeah. You're, you're a very small team. How do you motivate everyone? Keep the high spirits up and everyone committed to yeah that's a very good question so I think that was something I almost left out of the hiring process actually but one of the things we always look for as well are the motivations for joining and often uh what we see and and kind of comes out in that values interview as well is people are very they're bought into the mission and the vision of the company right and it was very similar at Tandem um so people were very passionate about the problems they were solving and and the impact they're able to have. So I think that's kind of a big part of what motivates people. And we, you know, we really try to drill that in as part of onboarding process, helping people understand exactly what we're doing, why we're doing it, um, how we understand whether we're advancing towards that vision and mission. Um, So I think that's a big piece. Uh, I think the other piece is 
kind of like autonomy and setting them up for success and helping, you know, make them clear what they're owning, what they're responsible for and um, giving them the tools to do their jobs. Obviously, it's startups can be chaotic, but um, if you've got the support, whether it's from your manager or your tools that you have access to or resources or, you know, consultants, mentors, whatever, that really, really helps. I think the other thing I'd say is we put a lot of work into developing the managers at the company. Um, so I think we're, we're about 140 now. And we have, now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, it's, it's scary big. Um, uh, yeah. But so, so we probably when we were, I think when we were about 30 people, we hired ahead of people. So we put a real emphasis on people in the business from the start. Now that team is probably, gosh, I hope they don't li- listen to this and hear me get it wrong. But I think it's about nine. <laughs> um, but um, uh, And we hired actually probably when we were about 70 people, a person focused on L&D. And one of the things, which I think... I. I don't have any data to back this up. My suspicion is that most startups don't hire someone in L&D that early on. But it's because we've been very deliberate and strategic about putting a focus on people. Um, and so we, we've got in place like manager development training. It's all about, you know, helping managers be the best they can because that's a, such a big part of the puzzle. I don't know, you know, if you think back to great experiences you've had in your career, quite often the commonality will be that the person managing you was awesome. Yes. Yeah. We, I mean, we yes. had the yes. fortune of having some awesome managers. Yeah. 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 So, um, so that's another big part, I think, to kind of motivating, getting the best out of the team, etc. It's properly investing in people, even though it sounds like cliche, but it's like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's really, it's very cliche, isn't it? But I think there's some Sounds, real, yeah. Well, I'm the first one. I love like development. Like, yeah. But once yeah. I say it out loud, it does sound like the shit, like investing in people. But actually, yeah. that's the basis of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think lots of people say it and, you know, it's lip service. But I think I, I like to think that we do a pretty good job of actually acting on it and following through. That's what I was about to say, that it's like, this is just the reflection of good leadership at the very top it just doesn't happen just because yeah i would hope yeah. so fingers yeah. crossed <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think so i think so <laughs> so talking about leadership um leadership is not just leading a team but it's also like leading yourself like personal leadership mm-hmm. i well i know but also i assume that there has been difficult times, especially because it's been like six, seven years since you started the business. Did you ever go into coaching or mentoring for yourself, not for the team, Mm. and that helped you kind of work through stress or challenges? Did you ever go through a similar experience? Yeah, for sure. So I've had um, coaching on and off throughout, really. Um, And I'm thankful uh to be a part of a few really awesome kind of networking groups that have really helped on the on the mentoring side um so being a part of i don't know if you've come across that they have different names but like tribes support groups etc where it's kind of the same group of people typically six seven eight so i have one for coos and we meet once a month or maybe it's once every six weeks or so. And so you get to know this group pretty intimately because you're sharing challenges, whether it's work or personal. Um, and then the group, it's almost like group therapy. It's like a master, kind of, I call them masterminds. Yeah. Yes, it's like mastermind. a mastermind. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you'll hear from the group and get their perspective on on the, the problem and, and um, not necessarily always giving you solutions. The idea is to kind of that more coaching mentality. We're asking you questions and drawing on potentially analogous examples so that you can identify what you think is right. So been a part of one of those for a while, um, had a coach who it's more ad hoc, 
that'll go to them. Um, I know a lot of people kind of enjoy that regularity. I think for me, I much prefer going with a specific problem, feeling like I'm, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I'm quite lucky as well in that, you know, having two co-founders is actually <laughs> very, very helpful. Um, you know, if one of them winds you up the wrong way, you can, yeah, you know, we, we're not, we're, we get on very, very well, thankfully, but, you know, having two others rather than one other can be quite helpful in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. What, has there been anyone in your professional career or as an entrepreneur that you're like that mentor, not like specific coach, just like someone that, you know, like. Hey, that working with that person or the advice or perspective of a mentor has been like it changed properly. If you look back, you're like, yeah, working with that mentor changed my not changed my life, but had a large impact in who I am as an entrepreneur. Yeah, good question. I think I've had a lot of really great bosses. Um, and actually, do you know, that's one of the weird things that when you go to them being a founder, you don't really quite have a boss in the same way. And it's, it's something you actually slightly miss. And that's why I guess the mentoring coaching piece becomes quite important. But I've had some fantastic bosses from, you know, first, first boss in the rollout company. Um, my boss at Travelex, Ruth was amazing. Um, yeah, still kind of kept in touch with her as, as I've moved into thriver world and she was very helpful at times um and then mental wise yeah I, i wouldn't can't pick one particular person there's been so many people that i've gone to at different points in time for different problems if you know what i mean um and that's where those kind of support groups have been so helpful is that there's always someone who's got pretty good relevant experience who can help you out but because it's so broad I, I would struggle to say this one person really, really helped yeah. me. Yes. Actually, what's coming to my mind now, it's like you're using the word help frequently yeah. now. And it's like, how easy or difficult has it been for you to ask for help? Yeah. Good question. Um, I think it depends a lot on, you know, what the challenge is really. Um, and how much you feel like you should have the answer. Um, I think some, some, what's been remarkable is sometimes I've caught up with people who often maybe become fellow founders or whatever, and I've not necessarily gone to catch up with them thinking I'm, I need help. But then I've got there and they've kind of just almost coaxed out of me this thing that I didn't even have a, clue I needed to talk to someone about but then I did I've left it feeling infinitely better um Molly my door is going go ahead go ahead go ahead okay sorry yeah go ahead no worries they, they might well knock at the flat um yeah talk about things you didn't expect to happen during the podcast <laughs> That's why this, that's this is the joys of working at home, right? Exactly. Because it's like you have the flexibility to yeah. be at home yeah. and then multitask. Yeah. Um, and you get to see everyone's kitchen as well. Exactly. Kitchen or living rooms. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or people walking around. Mm. Um, but help. yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't say I've struggled to ask for help, but there's maybe sometimes where you're kind of slightly reluctant to admit it to yourself that you need it and, and oh, other people see that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it sounds like you've had an amazing experience as a co-founder, as an entrepreneur, as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's been like challenging, but like positive, positive, positive. Has it been like, well, I know now I see the smile and I'm like, uh, <laughs> he's being very polite. <laughs> what has been the challenge? Yeah. What's been the dark side of building the company and the challenge? Yeah. Good, good question. 
I think because you make it sound um, so easy. I'm like, yes, I want to do that, but it's not. There's been some very, very dark, dark, tough, tough times for sure. Um, I I think the common the commonality around when I found it toughest is typically around the periods where we've been fundraising, and that's been a bit challenging. You know, fundraising is always challenging. I think for for 90% of companies out there, they're probably going to get more no's than yeses, unless you're like an absolute rocket ship out of the valley or whatever. Yeah. Um, but um, it does feel like we had we had quite a tough time of it, particularly kind of our first couple of rounds. Um, just because, you know, what we were doing was quite new. We're in the UK where we have the NHS and it's amazing. But so, you know, will people pay for a healthcare product, blah, blah, blah. Um, we also started out at the time when the Theranos scandal broke and here we are with a finger prick blood test just as Elizabeth Holmes was being indicted and you know so understandably um, investors were pretty cautious and nervous um, and we got a lot of no's and it's you know it's that time where you you feel like you've worked really hard you feel like your numbers are you know they could always be better but they're, they're solid enough that's what you hear the industry wants to see and then you kind of you go out there and you kind of you know it's like taking your clothes off and everyone rejects you it's not very nice um so um so i think those kind of fundraising periods were were quite challenging for sure um and led to kind of feeling pretty pretty burnt out but we always found our way through them luckily but there were some pretty dark dark days you know i think we had one week when we were raising our series a we had one week where and this is the other thing it switches so fast you go from like having all this interest thinking oh yeah great this is going to be so much easier than last time we've got like 10 funds at this stage 10 funds at this stage and then in one week i think we got like lots of the warm funds just drop out and pull out and um you know, the fear of like, oh, are we going to have to wind down the company? You're employing people at that stage. You've got kind of, I think that period of time is about 18 people we're responsible for. We had a few months left of runway, really, maybe a bit more. So those are those are the, the challenging times. Um, but I think kind of having recently seen a couple of friends go through um, – those scenarios, and actually, one of them winding the, the the company down in the end. I think there's kind of a slight reframing you can do there. Again, to that point of like fear of you know when we talked about what was my fear. Yeah. If if it you know if things go drastically wrong, so long as you carry yourself in the right way, you do right by your team. You know, you do the the everything you can to help them find new roles you give them appropriate notice you make sure you're able to kind of pay them the notice etc you've gone through an experience that lots of people won't have done you hopefully would have learned a ton and you know you've got you've got the failure badge that means that the next time around um the lessons yeah so i think having heard him reflect on it I almost feel a lot more uh yeah assured if we have to go into fundraising mode again um that I can you know maybe maybe draw on his strength and uh mindset there but um yeah I think we're hopefully yeah now you use the word mindset it's one of my favorite things what has been What's your mindset? Good question. Your mindset for success. You've met, you've built yeah. a very successful company, so you've got a very yeah. successful mindset. Well, yeah, I struggle with this because I think it changes quite a lot. But um, I guess maybe that's part of it, right? That's like what I was going to change. say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like it changes. Yeah. That's number one. <laughs> like it changes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the uncertainty, coping with and adapting thing you know it's kind of like the um if something goes wrong you just deal with it figure it out get better etc um yeah i i I think the 
the kind of self like you i'm a big lover of self-development so whether i'm reading stuff and trying new challenges or taking on new things you know kind of three years ago was terrified of public speaking and found myself having to do more and more of it as we built the team so i did a stand-up comedy course you know kind of pushing the push yeah that was so good um would recommend that to anyone who does not like public speaking um but um yeah i think you kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone don't you and you you learn best there and you probably shouldn't always be in that zone because that's not healthy either and that's kind of where burnout comes along but figuring out that that time when to kind of step out and step back in and yeah embrace change um yeah yeah and have fun i think is the other thing you know yes yeah yeah so i very much like to like to bring the fun at work and um have a laugh as well i have a curiosity question that it's not relevant for the listeners probably (laughs) have you ever snapped have you ever snapped at work and be like the angry boss that no one likes? <laughs> I cannot see you, but, but have you? <laughs> Probably a couple. We started of coughing. Um, <laughs> so maybe, yes. Which I think is it's quite interesting because I I, ha- I can I'm, I'm probably a little bit competitive if I'm honest with myself. You know, I've done one of these personality things and it tells me that yeah. that's a strength, but I am quite competitive and I. Um, and that's coupled with also liking to laugh and joke, which can leave to a slight, um, dichotomy in character. But I think one example comes to mind, which I think all my colleagues would kind of laugh about now that were there, but I was, um, pretty frustrated one morning because the night before a team member had organized a pub crawl around where we were moving to the new office. And that's something we'd done before at the previous office. And, you know, it was a great social event. I didn't go to this one on this occasion, but I got into work the next day and about, and this was pre-pandemic, right? So most people typically would, we said work from one, like work from home, max one day a week, everyone come to the office. So most people would always be in the office. But after this one event, there were like eight out of 20 people there. Which nowadays our office typically has, you know, 20 out of 140 or whatever. So, but back then it was like, I was, I was pretty angry. (laughs) So on Monday, I think the following Monday, like morning um, talk, I put up a photo of a graveyard. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) That's dark. I put up a photo of a graveyard and I said, this is what the office looked like after those drinks. I'm all up for having fun, but, you know, this company will go to a graveyard if we don't get stuff done. Something like that, which, you know, as I say, when you try and compare that with normally happy, enthusiastic, positive, uh, laughy Elliot, um, I think people got got a bit surprised. Yeah. Yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I'm assuming you are like a good leader, like. Oh, I hope so. I don't know. Yes, Maybe yes, we I could put a poll so. at the bottom of the podcast or something. <laughs> Check, so, yeah. but I would I hope, hope so. so too. I hope so too. Yeah. So as we as we are reaching towards the end of the episode, there is a lot of people that are employees right now and they have the side gig. What mm-hmm. are your what would be your final remarks towards them then to move from side gig to a full time kind of business successful business yeah good question um i guess part of me thinks is it right that it moves from sidekick to full-time project you know not some things can just remain a side hustle and be great and deliver you the enjoyment or the income even that you want um but there are lots of perks to also you know being in a job that you love as well so um i think that that's a kind of interesting question for people to reflect on sometimes yeah but then if if they're pretty set on it I think you know how can you what's the one of the things we did was like what are the what is the biggest concern right now at this point right so when we were starting Thriver 
we like managed to figure out a lab and figure out this fingerprint kit stuff. And we were like, are people going to pay for it? And it's like, well, what can you do to advance as much in like disproving? So the hypothesis was people won't pay privately for a blood test. How far can we get in terms of disproving that hypothesis and get as far as you can? And then once you're blocked, write down the next one, then get as far as you can. And then you're blocked. And then eventually you're going to be blocked because you haven't got the website or the product or the da 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 or the funds or the cash or you need more time or you need more people. And, you know, at some point there might be a moment where you say, oh, I need to fundraise or I need to build a team or I just need to take the plunge. I've, you know, maybe managed to build up some finances in the back that give me three months to spend, you know, if time's that blocker, then that's how you solve it, right? So write down those challenges try and disprove the hypotheses and once you get blocked, you know, assess how you unblock it. That sounds like beautiful advice from experience, not from a textbook. Like <laughs> I think it's probably from a textbook as well, to be honest. But, <laughs> well, um, you know, that that is one thing that you do, uh, how you apply it is the challenge, but there's some great stuff in textbooks right? Like the Lean Startup is a book that's often yeah. thrown around. Yeah. Another one that I found incredibly helpful at the start was the mum test, mm, which is yes. all around how you ask great questions to prospective yeah. customers. Yeah. Have, yeah. You, have you come across it? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Basically, the, the core of that book, it's like, well, of course, it's the mom test because like your mom will always say yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, don't I, ask your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, my mom, my mom thought Thriver was a terrible idea. So. Well, yeah. Would you prefer right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Elliot, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been really great to see you and catch up and um, yeah, chat through everything with you. Yeah, likewise. And all the best and all the success in the coming years for Thriver. And thank you. Thank you. And then everyone, remember to re-listen to the episode, take one thing that you liked and that you think it's going to be, make the most difference to your life and then take action on that. It doesn't make sense if you're like, oh, all these many ideas and then you don't take action. So just pick one and then go and take action. And I'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.